Welcome to the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. This platform is designed to share coaches, leaders, and influencers' journeys and experiences. Hope you're inspired by them so that you can serve others better and inspire them as well. Today's guest is John Wallace. John serves as a basketball operations associate for the front office of the Denver Nuggets. We talked to him today about impacting lives, that it's always going to be all right, that you are your brand, and he shares about John Thompson's impact on his life. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, John, uh, I appreciate you coming in. Uh, we know somebody in common, Kevin Sutton, and his Living Trophies uh, platform and what it's done for myself and a lot of other people has been really, uh, you know, I guess paradigm shifting in, in a sense too, the professional development that takes place. And then you were a guest a couple of weeks ago, and I felt like, you know, to have you on the podcast would be, you know, kind of a double dip for me. And so I'm here again, just glad to have you on. No, no, I appreciate it. it was, uh, that experience was, was really good uh, in the sense of just kind of, you know, having that conversation with individuals, like-minded individuals, and kind of sharpening my skills as well. So it was uh, it worked hand-in-hand. Fantastic. Now, we're going to start off like I do every episode, John, and that how were you introduced to the game of basketball? So I started playing from what I can remember and, you know, what I've been told is, Five years old, uh, my dad built a, at that time he didn't buy a Nerf basket, so he built a Nerf, uh, a similar basket in the uh, living room. Nice. Uh, in my childhood home, and he was a coach, uh, coach basketball, football, coach baseball, soccer, so, you know, I obviously gravitated towards basketball at an early age, and I went to all the practices that he held, and yeah. that's kind of where I developed that love for the game. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, man, when you grow up in a household with a coach, uh, man, it's a different world. Like, uh, Absolutely. you know, that car ride home after games or <laughs> after their games, even if you weren't playing, you know, it's it, mm-hmm. it, it wins and losses sometimes mean too much. And, uh, you, yes, know, you know, having been a coach for the last 20 some years, I know my kids and my wife sometimes have to hear it from me. And, uh, you know, and, and it's <laughs> the, the, the best thing for us is like now as a parent and I have kids, right? You know, when they compete or do anything in the game, all I say is, hey, look, I'm just happy to see you play out there. Like, sure, you could get better. Right. We all could get better. I could be a better father. We all could be better at everything. But uh, so, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that 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 kind of uh, the household you grew up in now. Uh, John, I would yeah. ask you, as a player, like, it's pretty well documented how good you were at Georgetown. I mean, Big East honors. Uh, you started every game of your career, which is amazing. 136 games, you know, all that. Then high right. school, I'm sure you were you were highly recruited and all that, but what was your experience with the game like through your lens? How did you see the game? So, you know, I, I grew up in a small town where, you know, football is king in the South. You know, as you know, being in Texas, like that's, that's all you do is play football. So yeah. there wasn't a ton of guys that came out of my area uh, when I was coming through, but there was the competition. I started on that Nike circuit my freshman year uh, with the Alabama Lasers. Okay. Uh, you know, with a lot of good players. But from that, getting that exposure to guys, you know, in other areas, other regions, you know, me and my dad both collectively sat down and said, you know, what we're going to do is, 
approach the next couple of summers and we're just going to work out from home and just really yeah. hone in on the skills and, and not get to the point to where you're so far uh, worried about exposure. You're not actually developing your game. We didn't yeah, want to fall yeah. into that trap. And so um, did that. I played a public school in Harvest, Alabama, Spartan High School, where, you know, it was a good competition around the area, but it wasn't to the level of what I was expected to see in college. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I just really tried to, to start with the end in mind. And I wasn't highly recruited, actually. Um, I didn't play on the circuit, so obviously a lot of people didn't get their eyes on me early. I then eventually went back to play on the Adidas circuit with uh, Southeast Pump and Run. Wow. And that's where coaches started to see me a little bit. And, you know, actually, that's where uh, John Thompson III actually saw me. And he was probably the most aggressive out of the recruiters uh, yeah. that I experienced in the latter parts of my high school career. And, you know, being at Princeton, they didn't get scholarships at that time. But, you know, having that story tradition of basketball through Pete Carrillo and then, uh, you know, having the academic balance as well, that was one of the things that I definitely wanted to be a part of. And then, you know, as the story is told, he got the job at Georgetown late. And as a high school kid, it's tough when you see all your other peers signing the last national letters of intent in November, and then you got the guy signing in the spring period, and you're not one of them. And then, you know, school has ended, graduation has happened, and you're still without a school to go to. And that's when he got the job at Georgetown. And he asked me to come there, uh, and they didn't have a scholarship at that time, so I had to walk on. So it was, it was bittersweet at the beginning because it's not how it played out in my head from what seen the other examples of my peers, but, you know, just kind of stay faithful to the game and things worked out in the end. Yeah, no, man. I mean, it seems like you started out kind of with a chip on your shoulder to a degree and kind of sure. understanding like you weren't, uh, you went to somewhat of a blue blood. I mean, Georgetown's a blue blood, if you ask me. A lot of people wouldn't think so. Right. But in my estimation and, and how I kind of size things up, if there's a power five top program out there, man, Georgetown's one of them. And so kind of at that moment when you got that opportunity to play for JT3, as they call him, uh, you know, there has to be a boost of confidence, man. It had to be like a shot in the arm of just like, yeah, I know I can do this. And, and you proved it, too. I mean, going on to even the professional level, uh, you know, kind right. of making your way to that. Now, your transition, though, like because when you're done playing the game, sometimes there's this kind of like, what am I going to do? Am I going to coach? Am I going to? You know, when I get in the front office, like what, what's there to do now? I know you spent some time with Georgetown after, you know, finishing your four mm -hmm. years. What was that experience like for you? Uh, well, the transition back, back to uh, coaching. Yeah, yeah. To a George, were your time spent so, there at Georgetown when you went back to, to kind of help out in the, on the staff? Yeah, it was good. Uh, I, when I set out to play professionally, I knew in my mind after one or two years that I wanted to be done at, at 30 years old. And that's the goal I set for myself. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be able to stop playing on my own terms. I want to have a good career and then mm -hmm. still be young enough to transition to another career. That was one of the things that I saw a lot of older players that I had uh, experienced and, and been around through playing had fallen to the trap of. And, and you know, you get back home, it's, it's tough because you don't have the ability to work on those skills in the corporate world as your peers do in their 20s. So you come back with no job experience. And so I didn't want to fall into that trap. So the opportunity came to coach with JT3. That was a no to play at the highest level. I knew for a fact I was going to come back and, and help him and coach and learn under him. Uh, and while I was there, I was able to get my uh, 
graduate degree and my uh, executive master's in leadership when I was held over to the other coaching regime that came in under Patrick Ewan. So to to coach under both of those guys, uh, it meant a ton to me and then having Big John uh, around every day. Yeah. You had no choice but to learn, and you learned on the fly, and it kind of threw me in the fire, and it didn't hold my hand. And that was probably the biggest blessing of it all because I got to learn who I was as a leader outside of the game. I got a chance to learn how to interact with individuals who – wanted to get to the level I was, but I had to approach them in a different way because they weren't you. Yeah. And so that taught me a lot of different skills on how to coach or how to be a mentor, how to be a leader. And I think that kind of propelled me into the position that I am now. Yeah, no, I mean, you talk about, you know, Big John, rest in peace. You know, he right. was, you know, the ultimate CEO. Like, that's absolutely that's where head coaches learn how to be head coaches through gentlemen like that. And so, like, when mm-hmm. he, did you ever have him speak into your life or mentor you in a certain way? And if so, what was that like? It was amazing from the day I set foot on campus as a freshman. You know, it's kind of like the unknown guy uh, of the last recruit. Yeah. You know, he, he treated me as I was like a scholarship player. I was a starting guard at that time, you know, not yet a proven player. But he was, it was a tough love, but it was a mentorship and it was a father figure type of approach on a daily basis. Wow. Uh, he took the interest in really getting to know where I came from and seeing my having a diverse background, growing up in a rural area, you know, not an inner city kid. And he spoke to me in levels in which he actually experienced that growing up as well. Yeah. And so for him to be able to get on, get out the box and see life through my eyes, he was able to teach me and mentor me so on. And just the presence he had, not just in the coach's office in between the lines, but in the community. Yeah. It's something that's going to stick with me forever because he was a coach and a politician, but he fought for, you know, the people who didn't have a voice and the people who weren't necessarily thrust into those spotlight uh, areas, especially as black coaches uh, back in those days. And so yeah. just to be around an individual who has everything, accomplished everything, but still sees himself as a part of something bigger than himself, that's going to forever uh, speak to me. Yeah, humility. And, and when you said that about him being kind of a politician, I think he's probably mm-hmm. what po- a politician should want to be. Uh, because, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? A little more empathy, a little more about the people, a little less about themselves and their agenda. And I think that's kind of mm-hmm. you know who, what you're saying, who you're talking about. I mean, I've heard so many th- different things from plenty of coaches that I know that had encounters with them and had him in their life to speak into it and, and mentor them and Nothing but great things, you know, and I think that's right. I think those of uh, who've been able to had cross paths paths with him have really now kind of uh, kind of carried a bit of them, you know, with him, you know, and saying that, you know, I'm going to do this for him. I'm going to make sure I, I add, you know, a little bit more of him to what I do because he was so influential. Now, I want to ask you, John, who or what influenced you to go into the front office space? Because. That's not something you just kind of like mosey on into, especially after being a player. <laughs> right. You know, that space and leadership in the NBA where you're at now, uh, what, 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 how did you get there? Combination of things. One, you know, I always knew, I knew the game and saw the game from a different angle from, you know, A, being a coach's son, mm-hmm. and then being a point guard at so many different levels and playing for so many different coaches who were, more than just X and O guys. Yeah. So I always saw the business of basketball as an area in which I could really add value just yeah. by the, the soft skills I had developed over time. 
Um, and, you know, the guy who I work for now, uh, Tim Conley, you know, he was influential when I first came out of school when I was trying to make the Wizards uh, teams in summer league. He was a guy that was always around and just seeing his approach to just the, the, the collective of basketball. And he and I stayed in touch through emails and phone calls while I was playing in Europe. And when I was coaching at Georgetown, they came, the Nuggets were in town playing the Wizards. We had a brief conversation. You know, he just mentioned that, you know, you belong in the NBA uh, staff in some, yeah. in some capacity. And that was something I always wanted to do. I just didn't really know the avenues to get there. Yeah. But, you know, I went back to school to, like I said, to develop those soft skills and leadership uh, beyond just what I had learned on my own through playing different sports yeah. and just really getting the right applications to, to put into position uh, where I am now. So, you know, I would say as a collective of my family, you know, coaches that I played for, players that I had uh, been really cool with, uh, my peers who were in the NBA and just listening to some of the things that they wanted more uh, from a business side of being in the NBA. So for me and the way my mind worked, I thought that would be an area in which I could have value. So yeah, here we are. And then I uh, just kind of learned on the fly again. Yeah, no, man, everything, you know, when you lose the desire or the ability to learn, uh, you've really limited yourself and put yourself in a box and you really stunt your growth and your development at the end of the day. Like, yeah, you're in the NBA working in the front office, but you know, you still got to learn. There's still more to do. There's still more work to do. You get up every day. You got breath in your lungs. Get to work. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you're saying, too. Is exactly like, right. You know, I, I love the saying that Coach uh, Sutton has. It's uh, uh, love the game, learn the business. And I think co yeah. Yeah, coaches out there really need to pay attention to that because we all love the game and we'll do anything for it. But sometimes we'll even do things that are a hindrance to our career, maybe even detrimental to our career. And they're good things. They're not bad things. They're just not uh, what's going to be advantageous for us in a certain arena in our lives. And so what you're, you know, I, I like what you said, I could add value to this. And, you know, when, right. you, when you got your, you know, executive masters in leadership, you know, uh, yeah, you, you know, a couple of things about some things, you know, and you can walk into that space here again, willing, willing to learn, knowing that you've learned so much to this point. So that's great, John. And now my next question would be out like, throughout your experience as a player, you know, how's that served you now, you know, with the Denver Nuggets? Really on the relationship side, um, you know, I always thought of myself as a good player, but I knew, you know, I wasn't, you know, the marquee player on my teams coming up as, you know, a collegiate athlete or even playing in Europe, but it was amazing. I want to say probably the first, second week I was here, uh, we were walking through the locker room talking to Will Barton, and he's like, yeah, I remember watching you play when I was growing up in Baltimore. Wow. And so, for me, it's just the example, the story that I, I have, but, but owning that story, you know, it's not the conventional collegiate athlete story, but it worked for me, and it's a story in which I can give back in some type of capacity to, you know, a wide range of individuals that I'll meet in this business. And so, I, I appreciate the steps that I had to go through, and that's kind of been the biggest thing for me now is to learn once I stop playing is you cannot skip steps. Yeah. And that's one of the things you learn as a player as well. You know, after you master, say, the art of shooting, you think you can just do everything under the sun offensively, but there's so <laughs> many different components to, yeah. you know, being successful. Yeah. And I've had to apply that to the business of basketball to where, you know, yeah, I played, won some championships, and I think I know certain things, but you do have to reinvent yourself, and you do have to go through those steps to really see what's happening in and around you so that you can, like I said, pour it to continue to add that value. 
Yeah, and I like what you're saying because I think there's a generation coming up that thinks that uh, you just, you know, with the whole networking idea, right? It's about who you know, and right. really, and really, it's about who right. knows you because they know what right. you can do, they know what you're capable of, they know that you are going to keep that spot. You're not just going to get that spot; you're going to keep it, and you're going to grow. Because I think that's what uh, that's why a lot of guys don't stay in the league in the first place. They get that first yeah. contract and they, you know, they're filling themselves and they love it. But the second contract is the contract that you really want because that means there's some longevity, there's some uh, stability, if you will. If there is such a thing, <laughs> that that's kind of it right there. And I think you know, not skipping steps, like you said, just the whole idea of the process. You know, we hear that a lot. You know, Embiid made that real famous, right? Trust the process, right. and uh, you know, for him, the process involved a max contract, so good for him, but. You know, every, every, you know, everybody else has a process. And what's your process? Is your process getting up and, and going to work for your kids? Is the process, you know, making sure you're the best coach that you could be for the team that you're leading? Is the process just simply, you know, being a young person, taking out the trash for your family? You know, do, doing, you know, doing what you got to do. And I think so that, that just right. speaks on so many levels and to so many avenues in life. So that's great, John. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think a lot of people – uh, have this mindset that uh, if you're in the league doing anything, it's because somebody handpicked you and just put you there, and you were just you know right, the gold, exactly. the golden child, and uh, and I've heard otherwise from so many other people, man. I've heard you know just heard stories and stories that that's not true. So uh, that's that's great, man. Now, which uh, you know we talked about John Thompson, you know JT three, you know what was there a coach in high school, maybe even here again, John Thompson that you would say uh, they made the biggest impact because I think we always look back and we say that coach told me this one time and that's all it took. Cause mm-hmm. after that, it just changed my life. Anything like that? Nothing like too, too specific. You know, I, I look at my career as being like, just a melting pot of, of being around great teachers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my first two years of high school, I played for a guy named Tim Willoughby where we ran the Princeton offense. I remember the the air in the city were upset because our game final scores would be like thirty to thirty two. All <laughs> too slow and there's no shot clock in high school and people and people wow. didn't like that brand of basketball. Yeah, yeah. And even myself to a degree. But then you know junior year rolls around and we got a guy uh, by the name of Luther Tiggs who's still coaching back in my hometown right now. But he played a more up tempo Kansas Roy Williams style secondary break type activity yeah. and you know you got to experience the best of both worlds and learn the little tricks of the trade but who would have known I'd be playing the Princeton offense my freshman year of college and those two years of playing the system in which that wasn't the conventional idea of basketball at that time gave me a leg up on my competition yeah. and helped me be more of an asset to Coach Thompson because I knew those, that system coming into school yeah. you know so you, you got to be careful how you allow your emotions to, you know, cause you to do things irrational and, you know, you are a part of some situations that are blessings in disguise. And so I look at that whole maturation process going through my career as just little bits and pieces that are added to a collective uh, product. Yeah, you know, and then learning that Princeton set, man, that's not uh, that's not for the faint of heart in the sense that you got to no. be patient. <laughs> yeah, you got to be patient. Uh, you got to be willing to let, to let things or allow things to progress and form and shape and if you're the you know the running gun guy you're not gonna like that 
If you're the guy that just wants right. to give me, coach, give me the ball, I'll create. You're that dude, you're not going to hang in that system, man, because it ain't about you. It's about everybody touching right. the ball and movement. So, yeah, and I like what you said about emotions because I have this theory about emotions, right? Like, we were blessed with emotions and feelings, right? But it's like my emotions are like my kids. I keep them in the backseat. I don't let them drive. So, therefore, they're not going to cause me to make any <laughs> rash decisions. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, that's right. so, so true, man. So true for the development of these, you know, current players is don't get emotional about the situation. Just, you know, continue to try to learn and, and get into it because – that's ultimately what's going to here again keep you where you want to be and take you to where you want to go. So, I appreciate you bringing all that up, Coach. Right. Again, man, sorry for calling you Coach, but it's just a habit. But uh, you know, I want to ask you now about talent in the NBA because everybody thinks you know there's some dude in the street or in the playground thinking like, yeah, I should be in the league, I should be in the league, and we've all known that guy and we've all seen that guy. But other than talent right. in the league, what separates a pro from a professional? So, so many different components. I think one of the couple of things that stick out to me or stood out to me so far is just the way these guys carry themselves, uh, yeah. paying attention to detail, whether it be, you know, getting your sleep, getting the proper nutrition, working out a certain way. And, you know, we've all been through this game and this, and these, this environment to where the one thing does not work for everyone across the board. Yeah. So everyone is different in that sense. But I think one of the things we have to remember now is and this is a different era and a different culture of instant gratification. You know, guys do one thing and they want that reward immediately. And that's not always the case. We yeah. look at that a lot with the collegiate guys that I've seen, you know, through the process and we're going throughout their development. But then at the same time, we're also in an area where you are your own brand. Yeah. You know, we were taught yeah. that as our parents, from our parents growing up. To where, you know, you're a, you're a walking brand. You represent the name on the back of your jersey. You represent your family. Right. But nowadays, it's even more keen that you understand that because of the, you know, the addition of social media, you can literally create the narrative for yourself or control the narrative for yourself throughout your career. So yeah. I think guys who see themselves as, yes, we're athletes, and you see this now with a lot of social, uh, a lot of the social aspects that are happening now in the world around us, that guys are seeing themselves as part of a bigger picture, and they're meshing that with the game of basketball and becoming more prolific professionals in that manner. Yeah, no, man, you're seeing more, here again, like you're talking about like the social justice, social injustice, the social awareness, all that. And now everybody's seeing themselves as that brand, that CEO of their brand too. And saying, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think LeBron does the best job, I mean, of coming in and creating his own narrative. He controls it. Nobody controls that narrative the way he does. He's been well-schooled and well-versed in it. And I think every other NBA player needs to kind of take note of that because when you're a superstar with that kind of heat on you every day, somebody's waiting for you to mess up. Somebody's waiting for you to do something great to praise you as well. Because you get you're, you live in both worlds, man, where everybody wants to praise you for everything and knock you for everything you don't do right. And I think that's the self-awareness uh, component of it all. And I, and I like what you said. You are your own brand. My dad always taught me that. He says, you know, when you go out there and you represent yourself, you're representing me, your mom, your brother, your sister. Don't forget that. And that's something I never forgot. Absolutely. You know, that was that was my my mindset was like roots. I mean, everything about my roots, where I come from, who I come from. And when I come out here, I'm representing all that. And so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bigger, it's a long game, if you will. It's a bigger picture, right. if you will. So that's, yeah, yeah, great stuff, man. Now, 
for way, you know, given the pandemic, given everything that's happened, you know, in the last shoot year or so, and kind of how things have gotten really volatile, how have you looked to be more innovative and creative during these times? The biggest thing with with me personally, uh, you know, being a, uh, a black man working in the NBA and now being on the front office side, is just having that open dialogue with the individuals I work with, both, you know, either managing up or, you know, talking to my peers in the front office. And, and I, one of the things I really am thankful for about this the Denver group is that we are very open and, you know, the conversation flows freely to where we can keep each other abreast on what's happening in these guys' personal lives and things that may happening in their communities so that we know how to approach them moving forward yeah. uh, and allowing them to give, you know, allowing them the space to be themselves while still being part of, you know, a big entity and being the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. I think that's it's a fine line to where you can manage that, but you can't be too strict and not allowing these guys to be themselves because I think that's where we are right now as just society. Uh, and the NBA being one of the more progressive, uh, you know, associations, you, we got to kind of continue to live up to that standard. For me personally, it's just been really educating myself on a lot of the, the articles that are being written in, you know, for instance, the Athletic or you know, New York Times articles that are happening in and around the game of basketball and society, and just kind of becoming more well versed so that I can have these conversations with individuals off the court. Yeah, to really you know get in tune with what they're dealing with and how I can structure certain things and talk to individuals who might be higher up in the organization so that we don't lose track of what's happening. Yeah, no, you want to? I don't know when when all this came up. In my mind it was like, look, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. pe- people, some people are losing their minds and going out in the streets and doing some crazy stuff, but the main thing still needs to be the main thing, and we can't divert from the real dialogue, like you said, the open dialogue that needs to happen. Because race yep. relations in America aren't going to change because we we do one thing or another thing. Like it takes a collective, you know, uh, you know, situation where we all come together and say, "Hey, how can we talk about this? Let's not, let's not. Don't just listen to me. You know, let's converse. Let's interact. Let's exactly. engage." And so I think you know when I look at the league, I see that happening a whole lot. And uh, and some people will say, "Well, it's enough already." There's no, it's never enough. It's never enough for everything that's gone on in this world and in this country in particular to say that's enough. Like, no, it's not enough. Unless you've been on the other side, you know it's not enough. You know, you, right. you, can, right. sit, you can sit in your, in your comfortable chair and in your happy place and say, well, they should stop already. That's enough. No, you, you don't know. And until you know, then you don't know. So, yeah, I think, I think that's part of that issue now. Talking about the league and how progressive it is in regards to social issues how have you felt, you know, as far as like inviting and like you talked about earlier about speaking to people that are in a higher up position, maybe in the C-suite, if you will. Uh, right. how's, how's that been for you and your experience with the Denver Nuggets? It's been great. Um, I'm just kind of adding to what I was just saying. Is we, one thing that this organization has really done is just give it, given all of us the space to just vent. Um, I think that's one of the things where we've been patient, we've been empathetic yeah. to individuals across the board. Uh, we were having, you know, weekly check-ins over Zoom with the front office staff just to just talk, like not about basketball, business, travel, whatever. It's like, how are you feeling? What's happening? If there's reading material that anybody wants to share with each other, we would share articles, yeah. you know, in our group chats or, you know, meeting for coffee, you know. Like we were being innovative in ways in which we were inviting everyone in. Yeah. And there was no, there were no cases where 
individuals were shut off. Wow. And so that's, that's from the top. It was a top-down approach, you know, the ownership and ownership group were very instrumental in sending out emails and letting everybody know, hey, we're standing with you. Situations happen. We have systems in place to take care of individuals. And I think that spoke volumes all the way down to where now dealing with the guys who are on the court, even down in the bubble, you know, those guys were able to get Zoom meetings with, say, the mayor here in Denver. We were setting up individuals to where they can talk to other politicians or the police chief. So there was no barrier uh, when it came to whatever it may have been, political stances, race relations, whatever the issues may be, we were very open in our approach. And I think that was happening across the NBA in general. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing I was very, very proud of. Yeah, no, that's great when you when you understand that the organization that you're working for is really striving to, you know, bring you in and, you know, talk about other things, like you said, vent, and not just to yeah. be about hooping and hooping and basketball and making moves and I mean, yeah, you have that. You have to do that. Like, that's, that's your job. That's the business. But at the mm-hmm. same time, understanding that there needs to be not even a balance. There needs to be more <laughs> more personal than, you know, basketball at this point, like right now. Like, at some point, it, it may get to the point where it's maybe more basketball than anything else, but still, as, as sensitive as things are, there needed to be, you know, more relationship-heavy stuff, more transformational-heavy stuff rather than just transactional and so that's uh, that really is empowering for everybody involved because uh, you're you're a stakeholder, man. Once you're in there in that office, you're on the team. Whatever capacity you serve in or you work in with an organization, you're a stakeholder, man. You you have a vested interest, and I think that's uh, like I, I, I kind of like how you said like there there was kind of that idea of we still have work to do, but you know professionalism is going to keep us in that lane. Like we can be professionals and still vent and still voice our concerns and still, you know, be vulnerable, if you will. And so that's a yeah. that's a really that's a safe space, man. And I think that's what we all look for anywhere we're at is a safe space to be the best we can be and be ourselves. So that's great, John. Exactly. Now, how do you measure your success as far as your career is concerned? Because I know I know individually, you know, we all look at our success differently, but how do you do that? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, as an athlete, you want to win at the end of the day. Uh, and, you know, we everybody says, oh, you don't care about the accolades and the other, but it is. That, that stuff factors in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's really big, to be honest and transparent. But as I've grown in my short four years worth of working on the other side, um, it's just been the ability to, to leave a mark on a lot of these guys. Yeah. You know, for, through my experiences to have to go through all those different steps and, you know, playing different countries, playing for different cultures at different levels, the ability to really resonate with these guys on a personal level and give them something that they can, you know, then take and then build upon. I think that's where I've been able to measure my success now, uh, even with some of the guys that are still at Georgetown, even some of the guys that transferred to Georgetown, uh, those guys who went on to play in Europe and some of the guys currently that I've been I had the privilege to work with uh, it was the Nuggets, for instance, like with Jamal Murray, just sitting down and talking and just, hey, man, I know what you're going through at this age. You are on a bigger level than I was, but I can offer this advice here. And maybe if you take that, does it add value to your career, to your life? Cool. It's so great. That's where I've been able to kind of put that measuring stick on terms of success. Fantastic. Yeah, because players will listen to former players. Players will listen to those who have been there, done that. They'll, you know, don't get me wrong. They'll listen to their superiors no matter what. But I think they feel it quicker when it comes from somebody who's walked in their shoes. 
And it's not just yeah. it's not just bringing a, a you know an opinion. It's bringing a kind of a matter of fact. Like, no, nah, man, this is this how it is. Like, I've been there. Like, you're going through this, right? Yeah, I am actually. Wow, did you know that? Because I've been there. I've, yeah. I've, I've done I've done the work. I've, I've rode the ride. I bought the shirt. Like, I've done it. So I think that's great, yeah. man. And that's what's going to keep you successful is continually. Uh, you know, relating to guys and connecting in that way. So, fantastic. Now, why do you do what you do? Like, what's your why in all this? Because, I, you know, you talk about having an impact in lives now and going back even to the guys at Georgetown. But, why? you know, when you wake up every day, why does John Wallace do what he does? For me, it's being a part of something bigger, uh, but at the same time, being able to reach out to those individuals who don't have that voice or don't necessarily get that exposure. Yeah. Just yeah. from, you know, my years of growing up, you know, I, I I love my development. I love my high school. I love my, my town. But to be honest, we didn't have a lot of guys in front of us to really look up to yeah, that yeah. were still visible playing on TV that were coming home in the summers and playing open gym. Yeah. You know, back with high school guys that you see and pass in passing in town, like we didn't really have that then. So for for me to be able to be in that position once as a player, and now you know on sort of the business executive side, it gives me a chance to really reach those individuals that don't get that exposure, but to show them, hey, you can be in both games and still have still have value, still be yourself, still have your roots to your small town, whatever it may be. That's uh, that's my why. Wow. And I just that always know somebody is watching, you know, whether it's young or old, just that that level of responsibility and just that, that those things kind of drive me every morning to get up. You know, you're talking about something that I, I've heard, I heard my pastor say one time. He says, you know, uh, we have to learn to be accountable to people, but not for them. Like, in other words, mm-hmm. I'm not like and I'm not going to have to watch you every second. But when I see you do wrong or do right, I'm going to make light of it one way or the other. Like, I'm responsible to you for that. You know, I don't owe you anything other than to love you and tell you, hey, you know, knock that off or maybe you should do more of that. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like, you know, Huntsville, Alabama, the 938, you know, it's a different world. People don't understand what the South is like, you know, and Mm -hmm. here here in Texas, the United States of Texas, it's a whole nother world, too. And and, right. and I think people get it twisted when they think, well, you came up, man. You're 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 professional. You're thriving. You're educated. Like, yeah, but I'm still me. Like, I'm still that that you know, I'm I'm that product of that environment, and I still need to have an impact. And I still need to what I wanted to see in guys back in my hometown. That's what I'm going to be for whoever I need to be it to. So that's great, man. Because I, I, I love I love hearing that people uh, always look back on either their humble beginnings or just where they're from, you know, because that means a lot. Now, how important is your support system now? Because of you know, here again, we're, we're, there's times we're having to spend at home and we're on lockdown there for a little bit. Who knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the future? So, how important is that support system to you? Extremely important. Um, and when we were talking in the uh, master class the other day, that the ability to really cultivate that circle is important. For for me, family's always been first. Uh, you know, we talk on Skype every single night. That started pretty much when I went to college and then on to, to Europe. You know, my sisters, 
my parents, no matter where we are, everybody gets on Skype at night around 8 o'clock and we talk. Nice. And whatever is going on during that day, we'll voice, we'll express any issues dealing with the farm or the ranch that we, we discuss it in one collective. And then beyond that is, you know, my teammates who became brothers when I was at school, uh, Jeff Green, Patrick Ewan Jr., Ryan Jones, you know, these guys who have been very influential in my life who are living out that example. And yeah. we keep each other honest. I think that's one of the things that we've been able to really lay up, rely on each other during this pandemic is just to really think outside the box. Like, hey, you know, everything's at a standstill. We're not playing, but we went to a great school. We've been mentored by great individuals. Why aren't we doing more? What is there to do? How can we give back? How can we be innovative during this time? And we we built each other's uh, feet to the fire in that. And so, you know, things are being worked on. We're thinking outside the box. And I think that that gives you that drive and that, that incentive to, to be more, to do more, to research more, and just continue to learn, as we spoke earlier in the, in the interview, is that you have to be in a consistent state of learning. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my support system has really pushed me on that and vice versa. So yeah, I'm thankful for it. Man, keeping your people honest, like the people that you're with, you know, keeping each other honest, that's a big deal because that's here yeah. again. That's that accountability component that most people don't have. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people that if they had somebody to bounce ideas off of and, and, you know, dreams off of, those ideas would not come forward and do some crazy stuff. And there's some dreams that would actually be realized because people could actually yeah. encourage them. And like you said, the idea that we got to do more, why can't we do more? Look who we, look how privileged we've been to that degree. Why can't we do more? And I think that's fantastic because a lot of y'all are in position to do more. And so it's like, let's get to right. it. You know right. what I mean? It's a little bit different if you're, you know, you don't have that. Here again, the education, first of all, the know-how, second of all, and then the network too. If uh, people don't know, they don't know. But when you know, let's get to it. So that's great, man. Now, as far as sacrificing, because I, I look at sacrifice in two different ways. I look at it as like having to like struggle, maybe give up some things that we want to do. And then also as, as an investment. Like, it might be an investment, too. So I would ask you, uh, John, what have you sacrificed to be where you're at today? A lot of time, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, even even moves professionally, I would say I've turned down some more lucrative moves yeah. to do things that resonate more with my core as, as, as me, as Jonathan Wallace, that might be more of a slow burn, but it's going to get to the point to, you know, obviously ultimately help me reach my goals, but ultimately allow me to help. And like I just keep using that term before, continue to add value. Yeah. Um, I think those, those are kind of the biggest things. Cause one of the things I learned in grad school, which might be, you know, coming out of the for me, that really stuck with me is that you have to learn what jobs not to take. Yeah. Wow. Um, that didn't really hit me until I was in the position of after graduating grad school, and looking to move elsewhere, you know, opportunities that, that came about. And there were great opportunities, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for those individuals that presented them to me, but I had to sacrifice and make the right move for me that may not have been the lucrative or the, the popular move amongst those involved. So yeah, that, that was a sacrifice, but, you know, those, those things, you have to be true to you. You can't get too far outside of your core of who you are because I, I feel like that just puts you in a position where, you can't perform at an optimal level. Yeah. Yeah, no, man. I mean, and I think that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to be in a position that 
can help them to be their best. Like you said, yep. get the best out of themselves, like as coaches, as players, as, you know, here again, front office guys, is anything, any part of leadership that you have, you either want to get the optimum out of everybody or out of yourself, one or the other. And when right. you're in, when you're in a situation, and, and especially when it comes to your vocation, uh, what you're going to do, you know, every day of the week, basically, uh, you know, except for maybe one or two days, you really got to be, you really have to be comfortable with that idea and that you're going to be able to bring your all. Because if you can't bring your all, I mean, you just don't want to show up, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll in a way just stop showing up every day. Now, what have you learned about yourself throughout your career? It's, it's always, it's going to be all right no matter what. Um, wow. One of the things I spoke to before, <laughs> it's just, you know, at every level I reached success and then moved on to another level, it was always experiencing some type of, you can use the term setback, but I don't really want to use or really like dig my heels into that term because there weren't necessarily setbacks. Yes, you know, it didn't start, it didn't pick up right where I left off, yeah. but they were learning experiences. And that's what I really trained myself to look at it. Continue to find a lesson in it and not failures, but you do have to reinvent yourself because you, there's things that will come around that corner that are going to challenge you or, or stress you. So you need to learn ways to deal with it before you get to that point. And I look at those situations as being part of that uh, process. Yeah. So, you know, it's just staying true. <clears throat> don't get too high. Don't get too low. But again, it goes back to that. How much are you learning when you're off the clock? Yeah. How much are you preparing for that opportunity when it does in itself? You can't just pray, hope, and wish. Mm -hmm. And then when it gets there, you haven't done anything to prepare yourself. Because yeah. you want to get those, you know, finite opportunities or finite uh, situations where you can, you know, take that next step and you have to be ready. Uh, so that's one of the things I really learned about myself is that it's always going to be okay as long as you continue to, to work off the clock. Wow. That's a great mindset because, you know, we all want to win. Like everybody wants yeah. to win. But when even when you lose, you can still get something out of it. My dad always taught me that. He's like, when it comes to people, even people, you can learn something from them, whether they know everything or know absolutely nothing. Whether they right. do everything right or do everything wrong, you can learn. And so to always be in that, being a lifelong learner and then turning those losses into wins because you learn from it. You learn what not to do again. Go back to the lab and get it, get the work done. Go back to the drawing board. Come up with a new, you know, uh, solution. Be solution minded. Like you said, you yeah. you don't want to dig into like being stuck in problems and being stuck in this mindset of like, well, you know, this failed, that failed. Now what? No, it's always like, well, what else could I do? There's more I can do. There's something else I can. Another way to. Uh, I don't even know where the term came. The term came from skin a cat, but. That's kind of disgusting, but, you know, as they say, there's more more than one way to skid a cat, you know? There's more than one way to get things done, and I think that's what you're saying, and fantastic. Now, my last question is always about, like, legacy and, and kind of mm -hmm. uh, looking forward. Man, you got a long way to go. You're not, you're not, yeah. it's not like we're sending you off, like, this is it, <laughs> but uh, kind of a, a working legacy, if you will, because I think when we kind of evaluate where we're at, where we want to be, and the people that are involved in what we do, because we're in the people business at the end of the day when we deal with other people and, and teams and sports and all that. Uh, what would you want people to say of, of you when your career is all said and done, John? You know, I've, I've always, legacy's always been a huge thing for me. 
And, you know, my grandfather, you know, he was very influential in my life and always telling me no matter what we did, whether it was in church, school, sports, or we were just working outside, always leave, you know, your land, always leave situation better than what it was before you got there. Nice. And so that's one of the things that I, I definitely want to leave as a legacy. And, and I just look at each step of my development as being blessed to be an extension of, you know, my grandfather, my father, you know, my high school coaches, Coach Thompson, like, to combine all those attributes, to combine all that knowledge together to then leave it to the next generation. That is what I ultimately want to be remembered for and to give them access to, whether it be the economy, whether it be access to, you know, sports and business, uh, whatever it may be, leaving that next generation that access to take it, to take something, pick it up and run with it. That's, that's ultimately what I would like to be remembered for. John, I appreciate your time, man. I really do. Yes, sir. Likewise. And, and, I, and I'm just so glad you were able to, add, you're adding value to this platform already by doing what you've done and, and kind of, you know, giving us a little bit of more insight into who you are and what you're about. And so here again, man, thank you so much for making the time and taking the time. Thank you. Thank you all so very much for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. I love what I'm doing and I love the fact that you're listening. So you follow us on Twitter at Creative Coach 47. Leave feedback via uh, iTunes and rated and all that good stuff so we can look nice and pretty on there. And, uh, you know, just leave feedback. I want to hear from you all because I appreciate you taking the time and making the time to, to listen in. So here again, thank you so very much.